Welcome to the latest episode of The Shamrock. I'm Pete Sampson. He's Matt Fortuna. I'm in South Bend where there's nothing going on. The university closed this week. Uh, no spring practice, no spring game, no spring recruiting. We're going to talk about that. Matt, you're in Chicago. Um, how's it going? Kind of a loaded question. You can take that anywhere you want. Yeah, no kidding. Um, it's going. Uh, wife working from home, enjoying what I get to enjoy to do uh, all the time. So we had to, to schedule office hours so that I could record this podcast, which was a uh, uh, a hurdle that I previously not had, but, um, you know, we're, we're fine. I mean, you know, at least I think we're fine. None of us really know anything. Right. Um, but we're hanging in there and, um, you know, just, uh, like you, as far as work goes, just trying to, uh, find some fun. I don't know if that's the appropriate word, but light content and stuff that I think, um, will keep both ourselves and our readers occupied and entertained until, uh, this passes, whatever that may be. Yeah. My kids are home from school for, the next four weeks, uh, my wife's working from home now too. It's, uh, I think they're downstairs watching Emily Arrow, which you will get into probably in a couple of years <laughs> when your daughter gets a little bit older. So any of our listeners who have, you know, kind of kindergarten age, they probably know all about Emily Arrow. Uh, I've got a Nintendo Switch waiting to be opened and Mario Kart 8. So uh, plenty of action later. I've got, uh, I put out the social distancing plan of watching every Marvel movie. I've only gotten three. Uh, movies into it and a surprising a large amount of feedback from people on twitter about the how important the order was on that um i just figured that i would watch endgame last like I think other than other than that it didn't right. seem that important but apparently there there is a way to do that and a starter on the Rain football team even sent me a, a dm <laughs> encouraging me to to watch them in release date otherwise it just doesn't make any sense yeah i uh my wife had promised me over a year ago that on her maternity leave, she would finally sit down and watch all the Fast and Furious movies. So <laughs> maybe now, after not doing that, um, she'll take me up on that offer and, and do it again now. Although, if there's one truly heartbreaking aspect to this for me, it's that Fast 9 is now being delayed a full year, I believe, uh, because of this. Which doesn't really make sense to me. You would think streaming rights and the like would, would just go through the roof right now uh, for all of us who are stranded at home. But uh, we shall persevere. Yeah, it's. Uh, I think ESPN was teasing The Last Dance, that 10-part Michael Jordan oh, yeah. documentary coming out early. It was supposed to come out, I think, in the summer. Oh, so I, I tweeted at them the minute I saw that commercial. Yeah, like, I mean, hey, look, like, let's... let's. <laughs> Tate, kindergartner Tate needs a very immersive basketball unit from his homeschool, uh, his homeschool unit here for the next few weeks. So that would be... Uh, Come on, ESPN. Let's let's make this happen. We know we know the documentary is done. We all want to see it, and we have got nothing else to do. Um, I guess as far as Notre Dame goes, you know, I think you know most of our listeners are in tune enough to sort of know the recap of last week, Wednesday, Tuesday, Wednesday. It appeared that Notre Dame football was going to move forward as planned. Um, I, you know, I think there was a lot of parts of the sporting world that had planned to move forward as scheduled at that start of the week. And then Thursday, that all changed. Um, university had closed, uh, I think, on Wednesday. NBA went dark on Wednesday night. NHL Thursday morning, and then Notre Dame Thursday around noon. Brian Kelly put out a statement, which, you know, at this point, everything comes from basically Father John's office, the university president. Right. That spring practice had been canceled, and I think, you know, we had been, Matt, you and I had been texting back and forth a little bit Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday about, like, 
they're not actually going to go through with this, right? And ultimately, they did not. Yeah, it would have been, I mean, I wrote this in a separate column, but like, especially at a place like Notre Dame, which goes so far out of its way to try to convince us that its student-athletes are treated like every other student, it'd be really, really hard to tell football players to come back for spring practice and that that is safe to do uh, while the rest of the student body is apparently... uh, unfit to learn in a classroom. Um, so look, that's neither here nor there. That was almost a week ago at this point. Feels like a year ago at this point that like we could even have that debate given how fast this thing has moved uh, forward. But uh, I think everyone's just kind of in a wait and see mode right now. Um, you know, I, as this thing started to unfold in its kind of infancy stages last week from a sporting perspective, I had a couple people reach out to me saying like that doubling opener is going to be in jeopardy. Um, they could, uh, well, probably will at this point move it offsite somewhere. I don't know where. I mean, it's Navy's home game, so ultimately they would probably have a really big say in it. But like at this point, like it's hard to imagine the university and Father Jenkins. You know, even though this, we're talking about something that's about six months, five months out of the way here to clear a hundred plus people from the university to go overseas uh, to play a football game that can just as well be played uh, stateside. I, I just don't see that happening uh, as currently scheduled. Maybe this is the year that it finally is played in Annapolis. Um, you know. Maybe. Yeah. No, I mean, that's, I, I don't know what that stadium holds, but I think that'd be a neat environment, you know, logistics and financials notwithstanding. Yeah. I think everyone has to be flexible on their financials and their logistics at this point. Um, you know, the spring recruiting is a, a big logistical hurdle for Notre Dame to clear all of a sudden this upcoming weekend, March 20th, 21st, 22nd was supposed to be really at right. their best, biggest recruiting year or weekend of the entire year in season included. Now that's all off the books. They had an official visits scheduled for the first week in April. Those are off the books. Um, there's no recruiting of any kind, I believe, until April 15th. Uh, and at that point, as it stands today, the spring evaluation period will continue on. But I think as it stands today, after the last week, we know that the world can change in a big, big way, uh, sports world included, in a week's time. So it's kind of hard to see that actually happening. But, um, you know, it's it, it's a severe impact on Notre Dame because this, this was supposed to be the weekend where they put their best foot forward. Will Shipley, five-star running back from North Carolina, was supposed to be up. Langdon Tenwell is a borderline five-star offensive lineman from Maryland who was supposed to be out. Um, you know, suddenly... Notre Dame's distance, you know, it's, it's national draw, it's national appeal, in, in some ways sort of works against it because I think it's in times like this, you know, what's closer to home, what's more familiar, what's more comfortable, um, Notre Dame is often the decision that is, you know, a little bit harder to make. You're you're pretty much always leaving your home base to come to Notre Dame, and now that uh, that's, all, that's logistically impossible right now um, with uh, the travel restrictions, but I think the spirit of that is also difficult for Notre Dame too because I think people may be, more inclined to, to, to look a little bit closer to home first than, than may, they have been otherwise. Yeah, not only that, but you know, talk to coaches really throughout the country just trying to figure out what's going to happen, and they have as many questions as we do at this point. But um, a school like Notre Dame, say, where, like you said, everyone is not exactly um, from the same place, um, if and when things start to loosen up a little bit in this country, it's a lot more difficult for Notre Dame to say, hey, a bunch of you in Indianapolis get together and do these drills or do this or do that to stay in shape. And even right now for other schools that don't have those kind of logistical challenges, they're very hesitant to tell their student athletes anything because 
you don't want to encourage them to go to a public place or a high school gym or places that, that may not be sanitary at the moment. So um, I, I don't know from a football standpoint, if it's any consolation to Notre Dame fans or fans of any program, it's not like anyone's at a, a real disadvantage here. They all are, right? It's not like, um, you know, everyone's going to be playing with one arm tied behind their back. I mean, I feel worse for from a football standpoint for like the Florida States of the world and the Arkansas of the world that have new coaching staffs. And this is where like program development and infrastructure first gets put in place. I mean, those guys are going to have a lot to overcome when everything returns to normal, but um, it, it, it's kind of a wait and see mode right now. I mean, recruiting it, it, in some ways it's, it's, you know, you can scout a little bit more, at least online. You could communicate with these guys a little bit more and get a head start as far as like, there's not much football to do, right? You know, um, you could scout opponents and do all that, but it's really uncharted waters. And it, I think every school is going to kind of go about their business in different ways. And even talk to people at Notre Dame, they've asked me, hey, what are you hearing about what other schools are doing? And other schools are asking me about what other schools are doing because no one knows. This. There's not a playbook for this. I mean, we, we can, you know, th- trot out the old cliche, the coaching cliche, 364 days a year about how, you know, winners are bred by responding to adversity but i don't think anyone had this in mind because everyone's adjusting no. right now and, and no one really no. knows what's going on yeah and it's just it's you know like coaches can call they can text um or at least they can get on the phone with prospects um you know you're still building those relationships and and sort of keeping that sharp that's you know that, that's still happening right now as far as like Notre Dame spring practice i you know um, among the stories that you know i you're sort of looking at it, it's like okay how can how can I write about Notre Dame football and just in this kind of time like recruiting is one you know a lot, one of it is also sort of how Notre Dame's current roster is trying to stay sharp and on top of it from a distance um, and that distance may go on for another three four weeks who, who really knows when Notre Dame is going to right. allow people back on campus it seems like that's the way things are trending right now with restaurants closing that might not happen again this semester so if you're stuck at home um, or somewhere else, if you, you know Alexander Arnsberger, the early enrollee from Germany in Dusseldorf, like you're stuck half a world away, uh, I'm not really sure how you go about that. It's almost like your spring semester, your high school year, where you get a workout program mailed to you from Matt Bayless and company, and then you have to follow it. But can you find a gym where you can work out, and that's okay? I, you know, that's it's, it's just a difficult situation, and I'm not. Sure, you know, every player handles this differently. I talked to a couple coaches at Power 5 schools who were asking me about what Notre Dame was doing. This was sort of on the Wednesday time when we weren't really sure. And they said, look, there's one of the, I I want my team to be together. Not so I can, like, keep them under my thumb, but for a lot of kids, not really true for Notre Dame as much, but for a lot of kids out there, they don't have, like, a great, stable home situation to go back to they don't have nutrition they don't have a gym they don't have access to medical stuff they don't have access to like stay on top of their academics so that's um there's just a lot to manage that's managed at notre dame but in a very controlled environment because it has to be once those controls get taken off that i think it becomes very complicated for a lot of these players Yeah, I mean, I talked to someone from the SEC last week who said the same thing you did. I mean, we don't know, uh, you know, we have some kids on our teams who aren't going home to the most stable of environments. And like, you know, we worry about them from a human standpoint. Where is that next meal going to come from? And is it going to be nutritious? Um, I know there are greater things at play here than staying in shape and staying in football shape. But I mean, 
whether it was Willie Taggart at Oregon or Scott Frost in Nebraska, how many times do we see coaches take over programs that got their last coach fired, did not make a bowl game, and have a segment of their rosters who did not work out for a month? And when they go to their first workouts, organized workouts in January, you have a couple kids go to the hospital because they're so out of shape from what are probably pretty basic fundamental workouts. I, I think you're going to see a lot of people out of shape when they get back to school, whenever that is, just because we have no idea where half these people are or what they're doing on their time because they're only allowed to do so much. So I think that is uh, something to monitor really everywhere, not just at Notre Dame. Uh, I, I think April 15th is going to be the key day. I mean, that's when recruiting activities around the country have really been suspended. And I think you know, as that date gets closer, we'll know whether semesters are outright canceled, whether spring practices are outright canceled. I, I would imagine they are at this point, and, and what that means for every program moving forward. You would think that the NCA would probably reinstate some coaching opportunity days in the summer that that aren't necessarily there. I mean, you hear coaches every year to complain about the lack of time they get around the yeah. roster, and that's why a strength coach is so valuable to them. Um, does that mean, though, everyone comes back in June for OTAs? Does that mean um, camp starts a little bit earlier in July and maybe you get five extra practices uh, that, than you normally would in training camp? I don't know. I mean, everyone is, is trying to figure out what happens here, and, and it's probably going to cost people at least their summers uh, in a best-case scenario. Not that that's you know, the most important thing in the world, but um, you know, every, everyone's playing from, from you know this kind of made-up playbook right now and just kind of waiting for direction. Yeah, I mean, you would think, like, cancel your summer camps. And maybe yeah. flip those into summer OTAs with, you know, instead of having a, what, four or five of them? I don't know. Maybe just have a dozen. Maybe go for a month. I'm not really sure how that, that will all work. Um, you know, but I, you, you're right. It's like for teams like Arkansas, Florida State, uh, other places, you know, Washington State, Mississippi State. I mean, you're, you're what, you're going to install the air raid in 20 minutes? Um it's a difficult it's a difficult situation not that it is you know the most important thing in the world uh, but it's just it's a difficult situation there uh, I want to transition into a story that you that dropped on Thursday when no one was paying attention for obvious and understandable reasons Slow but news it was day, a yeah. good yeah it was a good uh, it was a good account of how Tommy Reese went from ball boy to offensive coordinator and sort of made believers at every step along the way and for a guy that I've covered in some capacity for about a decade, there was a lot in there that I didn't know, which was cool. Um, I, I guess what was the most interesting part about that story for you as you were putting it together? Um, I, I think some most of the anecdotes were not necessarily surprising, but they were, they were cool in their details and their sort of behind-the-scenes look at what he was like when yeah, he was no, th- at Notre Dame. Thanks for tweeting it because I had forgotten to do that because it dropped like yeah. right around the time the ACC was canceling its basketball tournament and the world as we know it flipped upside down, at least sport, from a sporting perspective. Um, you know, I, I went into it kind of with the same mindset that you just described, like, hey, we've covered this guy for seven or eight years or so. Like, he's, he will now have been by Brian Kelly's side for eight of his 11 years in Notre Dame in one form or another. We know he's the son of a coach. We know he's always going to be a coach. We know he's a very cerebral player who was, you know, not the most physically gifted in the world, but still managed to have a, a, a lengthy starting career anyway. Um, and I, I want to peel back the layers of that and, and see what that exactly means. And like, you know, we associate Tommy Reese with Chicago, and rightfully so. I did not know or realize that he grew up in L.A. for the first five years of his life or so because his dad, Bill, who's now the scouting director at, at Notre Dame, um, was working for UCLA at the time. So that's where he got to start. And him and his brother would follow their dad to pretty much every 
football camp, pro camp, uh, mini camp or training camp that he went to throughout their upbringing. I mean, that was Cleveland, that was Chicago, that was San Francisco. He was at Kansas City at one point too, although I think both boys were either in high school or college at that point. But um, seeing what a big influence that Danny Reese, his older brother, had on him, um, I think helped a lot because it helped him get a head start uh, in a way that maybe Danny wasn't supposed to. And, you know, Danny went on to be a punter and a holder at UCLA, but, you know, he, he was a Division One player for five years at, at an elite institution, and now is a real estate mogul out there in Manhattan Beach, so he's doing pretty well for himself. But he didn't have the advantage that Tommy did because he only had his dad, whereas Tommy had Danny and Bill Reese to look up to. And so, again, he got a head start. I think one of the most telling quotes of everyone I talked to, and I talked to a lot of people, not all of whom were quoted for the story uh, in print, but Dan Fox, one of his roommates, who said, I think Tommy's probably been doing it an extra five years. You think of his age and think, yeah, he's young, but he's been doing it for just as long as guys that are offensive coordinators elsewhere. So he's got the knowledge. And I think when you put together that head start uh, with the fact that he had so much freedom uh, at the line of scrimmage as a college senior, so much more than I think most college quarterbacks do at at that point in time in their careers, um, it's accurate to say he hasn't called a play yet before that Iowa State game, but it's also not like the full picture because he's not going into this thing blindfolded. He has literally been preparing for an opportunity like this his whole life. And look, maybe it works out, maybe it doesn't, but I, I have a hard time seeing a 27-year-old who will enter this position more prepared than he could possibly be. I mean, other than Charlie Weiss Jr.? Well, yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Char- he didn't play, That's although maybe that par- helps because I mean, he got a head start. The, the parallels there I think are a really kind of – I don't know, humorous almost, like the fact that uh, you have two of the youngest OCs in the country. Um, what One, they both, well, one interviewed for Oregon, one was asked to interview for Oregon by Mario Cristobal and didn't. Um, you know, obviously the Notre Dame connections there. The fact that, uh, you know, when I talked to Charlie Jr. down in Tampa, he was like, I, I, he talked about how fired up he was for Tommy and thought he was going to kill it here. So, um, yeah, I just thought that's kind of a cool, unique uh, sidebar to that whole story, which was Kind of some fun stuff there with, uh, you know, I guess sort of the the back and forth of, you know, the Chuck Martin anecdote I thought was awesome uh, in the hotel before the Air Force game, which I actually yeah. remember Chuck Martin screaming through so loudly during that game that we could hear him in the press box, which was just like <laughs> one one section over. I don't. I think he was yelling at Tony Alford on the sidelines over like a running back substitution. Um, but yeah, that that. Now I have a new memory of that Air Force game, aside from uh, my exploits the night before with Brian Hamilton and some other reporters that bled over into how I felt Saturday, and then Chuck Martin screaming at the the team, or Tony Alford. Please go on, Pete. What's that? I said, please go on. Yeah, well, I can tell you they had a very nice spread, um, I think from Carabas in the Air Force press box, and I had zero appetite whatsoever. There you go. I think we could put two and two together. It was a good time. Um, Altitude really got to me. Um, Yeah. Uh, Let's assume the football... You want to get into the the football season and the points? No, go ahead. Yeah, the football season... Oh, yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. We both hope so much so that it happens on time. Uh, I I will even trade going into Ireland, uh, make that sacrifice... As long as, it, as long as we could get a game at some point. Um, there are some point spreads out. Um, Matt, you read off five of them to me before we started recording. Um, two of them make absolutely no sense whatsoever. Um, the other three, I think, feel like 
kind of reasonable lines. So let's, uh, why don't you read off all five and then we can dissect which ones make absolutely no sense and which ones are pretty good lines. These come courtesy of Fox Sports Bet, their app, which uh, is an absolute godsend during a time like this because we need a lot of fun things to talk about. And if you want to get in the car and drive to Vegas with me and Ari Wasserman before everything shuts down tomorrow and and throw all of our life savings on some of these, you have an open invite, Pete. But um, I don't think uh, the opener will matter because in parentheses it says, must be played in 2020 at listed venue for action. And that first game, obviously, is Notre Dame versus Navy in Dublin in Week 0. Notre Dame is minus 14 in that one. I'll read the rest to you really quickly, and we can debate a few of them. Uh, Notre Dame is minus 10.5 for Stanford. They are plus 3 versus Wisconsin. Minus 16.5 versus Arkansas. And plus 3.5 against Clemson. Yeah. So the first three, I get. I get Navy minus 14. I get Stanford minus 10.5. I even understand Wisconsin plus three. The other two are a bit baffling to me because Arkansas is god-awful. Yep. And Clemson is outstanding. And I think that putting – if I was going to bet, I would bet quite a bit of money on Arkansas and Clemson and just sort of leave the other three to be. Uh, Yeah, I I would uh, go the same way. I mean, the Arkansas game, and and look, maybe Vegas has accounted for the potential hangover of coming back off an international game, but so is Notre Dame. I mean, they have a bye in between that Navy game scheduled and the Arkansas home opener two weeks later. 16.5 points. You know how many games Arkansas lost by 26 or more points last year? Five. Notre Dame won their last five games last year by 21 or more points. Not against the greatest competition of the world, but all of those teams were much better than Arkansas was. And they have a new coach in Sam Pittman who maybe he's the next Nick Saban. I don't know. I don't think he is, but maybe he is. Either way, he's not going to get any of that done this year, especially now with no spring practice and everything else that's working against him and every other new coach around the country right now thanks to the coronavirus. I mean – Notre Dame, with a three-year starting quarterback returning alone, should be at least a three-touchdown favorite in this game. I mean, assuming everything that we think we know about both programs and the state of the sport is what it is, you know, six months from now, I mean, Notre Dame's going to win this game by 35 points maybe. I don't know. I mean, that, th- this is the lock of the century, if you ask me. I think it could be very much a Notre Dame-UMass or a Notre Dame-Western right. Michigan style of score where it's, you know, 50 to 13, which is a which- which if I did the math that I will go do with my uh, kindergartner afterwards is more than 16 and a half points. That's a lot more. Yeah. Yes. So it's uh, those, I mean, Navy two touchdowns sounds about right. Stanford 10 points, I think sounds about right. I think that was like a, maybe a, I don't know what, I think the spread was 13 last year. Uh, and they just, in the actual game or like the summer line, the bet. No, Oh, the actual game. I mean, I guess in the summer people thought Stanford were going to be a lot better than they turned out to be. Sure. Um, you know, and I think Notre Dame covered barely based on that defensive touchdown at the very end of the game. They won by 21, right? Yeah. I mean, they're, they, they ended up putting them away pretty handily. Yeah. I mean, it's like, I think it was right on the line, and then the I think it was Jameer Jones and Khalid Kareem combined for that strip sack fumble recovery. That's right. That's right. That's right. Um, Wisconsin, Wisconsin to me feels like kind of a pick'em game, but it's a quote unquote. It's a Notre Dame home, home game. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to say it's a quote unquote home game for Wisconsin. So yeah. that, that's how you get to no, the three points. Um, um, yeah, that that one is interesting. I mean, no Jonathan Taylor. Now, they always have a great running back, but Jonathan Taylor was probably the best of all those great running backs they've had, so it's, it's hard to 
really figure out who will be running for them. They always have a great offensive line. They have a returning starting quarterback who was good, but not like a world beater. Um, yeah, and honestly, like I would anyone be surprised if Graham Mertz, their backup, who was I hate right. I hate to say he was their he is their Phil Dracovic, but he is kind of like the next <laughs> but big bigger thing than that. Well, I, guy, I don't know. I, I don't know if their head coach on signing day said he's the best quarterback in the country, but it is probably clear that not. Based on every but he is the best. Metric, he, well, he's, he's the greatest, greatest quarterback recruit they've ever got. Yeah, right. So that's like at least out of he, high school. Maybe he's more their Jimmy <laughs> Clausen uh, than he is their Phil Dracovic. Um, you know, there you go. It, it's hard. It's hard to even at, at any place in college football. It's hard to be the highest rated ever um, in any in any Correct. class based on your position. But that's what Graham Mertz, who is a a one-time high school teammate of Notre Dame running back Jafar Armstrong. Uh, that's what go. he is Fun for fact. Wisconsin. So it's um, that's you know what the other interesting part of that is I'm just looking at it now as I dig deeper and try to dig further into my uh, life savings. Uh, for Wisconsin, this game is between a trip to Ann Arbor and a, a game against rival Minnesota. Three mm-hmm. straight weeks: Michigan, Notre Dame, Minnesota. Uh, yeah, this, the, the line. I, I mean, I could see it going either way, but I'm a little surprised Wisconsin's favored. Yeah, I mean, it's it, it just it feels very pick me though, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. But I, I, don't know, I just I feel like there are more questions right now about Wisconsin than there are about Notre Dame. Even though Wisconsin is is for all intents and purposes the one of the most reliable, you know, what you're going to get programs in the country mm-hmm. every year. Yeah, well, it's, I mean, in some ways, Notre Dame is kind of there in a weird. They're they're getting there. I mean, yeah, way, they're right? not already. I, mean, I agree. Three straight season of ten wins. That's that, that's something that Wisconsin has been doing. Um, you know, Notre Dame. Obviously, I, I hate to say obviously, but I think we would agree that Notre Dame plays a tougher schedule than Wisconsin plays on an annual basis. But um, uh, yeah, being in the Big Ten West, that's yeah, probably accurate. Yeah, and having your big non-conference games being South Florida and I don't know. I think they have BYU in there every so often. Yeah. Also, you just can't lose. Years, you can't lose at sure. Illinois. I mean, come on. That, you can't do that. That should be like um, three losses. The, the Rose Bowl was we like the Rose Bowl made me even more ambivalent on Wisconsin than I was before because like they held Oregon's offense with a probable first round draft pick at quarterback to less than two hundred yards until the final play of the game, but they turned the ball over four times in more perplexing fashion each and every time, and lost that game by one point when they were by every objective measure the better team. So. That, that's very uncharacteristic of Wisconsin. They usually don't beat themselves. Again, they're going to protect the ball, run the ball, play good defense, all those good old Midwestern cliches. So I think you know what you're going to get out of them. But um, three years, a weird three year yards in a cloud went, of rubber pellets. Yep. There you go. And they went to uh, what? They went to the Rose Bowl and had four losses. And look, they played Ohio State better than anyone before yeah. Clemson, at least the second time you give around. Credit for that. Lose to Illinois, lose to Oregon the way they did. Um, I don't know. What one former defensive player from the 1988 team, by the way, said to me, since that's Notre Dame's home game and since it's the first time Barry Alvarez will have faced Notre Dame uh, since then, he's hoping for some form of 88 title reunion, at least with the defensive players at Lambeau Field that night, which I I don't know if that's going to happen, but that'd be pretty cool. I think that the 88 defensive players will make that happen. Um, That is a (laughs) a fairly riotous group. Um, And so... This is a fun anecdote for you on the 88 defense since we're here and figuring out thing, interesting things to talk about. You know Tim Priester, former uh, our, our colleague, but former co-worker and partner of mine at Irish Illustrated. He's been covering Notre mm-hmm. Dame since 84, I believe. Um, 
He used to smoke cigars at practice while every practice was open. And one day, Wes Pritchett, I think it was Wes Pritchett, um, what, they were running through drills, uh, kind of a, you know the 11-on-11 type stuff. Wes Pritchett, who was a starting linebacker on the team, ran over, took the cigar out of Priester's mouth, started smoking it in his helmet, then ran back into the huddle. Um, they huddled up, and Alvarez was in there, and his you know his reaction is, I don't want to. We've. I don't want to have back-to-back explicit podcasts here, but you can imagine what his reaction was. Uh, I don't know if Priester smoked cigars at practices after that, um, but that is just sort of. It's just sort of a boy. Times have really changed. Um, story from the Notre Dame beat from '88 to 2020. I, I will resist making jokes about a different other kind of thing to smoke in front of certain other players currently on Notre Dame's <laughs> roster. However, when you told that story, which I've not heard before and which was great, I had two immediate images in my head. One was Rudy going up to the girl he used to work with saying, do you remember me? Uh, after he had promised her he would make the team and the uh, his position coach going crazy on him in the middle of practice. And the other one I had was that famous photo of Len Dawson uh, smoking a cigarette yeah. in the middle of the locker room, I think in the middle of the Super Bowl. So, uh, which was a little bit before Tim Priester's time covering Notre Dame, but um, yeah, it's a better time. So huh? yeah, the better times. Hopefully we'll get back to that sometime in the not too distant future. Um, <laughs> that's probably let's, let's wrap up this episode of the Shamrock on cigar smoking. Um, well, 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 we didn't get to the Clemson line. Oh, was there something else you wanted to say about Clemson plus plus three? Other than just like that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, that, that makes no sense whatsoever. I'm sorry. Like, I mean, we're as great as I feel about Notre Dame um, beating Arkansas by 17 or more points. That's how bad I feel about them keeping it that close against Clemson. Which, like, crazier things have happened. I, I don't want to say it like this is some JV program, but for Clemson, a team that's gone 25 and one with Trevor Lawrence as a starting quarterback to be giving less than four points to anyone. I don't care what the weather is in South Bend. I don't even care that Clemson is coming off to buy that game. I mean, they've lost to one team in the last two years. It was to a team that was more talented than LSU in the national title game. I mean, I think this Notre Dame team, even if it's as good as that playoff team two years ago, they lost to Clemson 30-3 to in that game. And even if Clemson's not as good as that game, as that team, um, they still have Trevor Lawrence and Travis Etienne. Um, I, I just... You know, again, take my money right now, Vegas. Uh, while we're all still here in this world that we know, um, I, I think this one is a little too good to be true right now if you're a Tigers fan. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Well, this we will be back next week on the Shamrock. I think we'll be efforting to get a guest. We'll see how that goes because um, we're not going to have a whole lot of like up to date spring practice updates for you or any of them. Uh, but the Shamrock will soldier on uh, to give you at least a half hour distraction in your day to, uh, especially if you're schooling your kids at home like me. I hope that uh, this was able to get you through a cartoon break. Um, hey, can they be guests next time or co-hosts? I know we've joked about at it. At some but, point, like, they're going to just barge now. in and be guests. <laughs> um, and my kids have, we did record like a, a test run pilot podcast of uh, the Notre Dame F- Football for Kids podcast. I may have to send that audio to uh, our producer, John Hayes, and see what he thinks of it. It's like if, if these kids have some talent to discuss um, Notre Dame football or not. They're, they're, I think they're, they're quite in tune with it. So I have some the, nice same way, <laughs> the same way players used to take cigars out of a preacher's mouth, your kids will take the mic out of your, ha- your hand and just start rambling, and we'll all be better for exactly, it. Exactly, exactly. So 
Until then, our, de- our podcast next week, uh, that's, you've been listening to the latest episode of The Shamrock. I uh, hope you are staying safe out there uh, and where, wherever you are in the United States. Uh, and we will be back with you next week. So until then, I'm Pete Sampson. He's Matt Fortuna. Thanks for joining us on The Shamrock. Oh, 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 o